Firecast, a podcast from MDM Publishing, brought to you in association with International Fire Protection Magazine, the global voice for passive and active fire protection. Welcome to another Firecast, where we get to discuss some of the key issues with the big players in the fire industry. I'm Paul Hutton, and today on the Firecast, we're joined by Paul Adams, Content Marketing Manager at Hotchiki Europe Limited, and we'll be talking about the important subject of false alarms and what that means to the risk to UK businesses, safety and the impact on emergency services. Now, obviously, automatic fire alarm systems are vital to provide an early warning of fire and are one of the most effective ways to keep business, staff and customers safe in the event of a fire. But unfortunately, a significant number of signals from these systems aren't actual fires. They're false alarms, often caused by things like cooking fumes or dust, incorrectly reported by smoke sensors as smoke or a lack of regular maintenance and testing of the fire alarm system. These unwanted fire alarm signals mean fire crews are called out unnecessarily. So what can we do about it? Well, Paul's joined us to give us some ideas, including initiatives in Scotland and London that are challenging alarms before responding. The call challenge is a process that involves asking the duty holder with responsibility for the workplace premises whether they have investigated a fire alarm before reporting a fire. So, Paul, let's start with a simple question. How would you define a false alarm? Thanks, Paul. It's a good question. Let's start right at the beginning. So any automatic fire alarm signal that hasn't resulted from the effects of a real fire, i.e. smoke, heat, CO or flames, that is a false alarm. You know, when a fire detection system is activated, it's it's going to alert the occupants of that building with a combination of visual and audible signals. And it might also automatically signal to the local fire and rescue service. But basically, it's simply designed to react to a stimulus. And if that stimulus is not from a direct result of real fire, the system can be forward and it will just react as it's meant to. Well, I mentioned in my introduction, Paul, that you know, in a very simplistic way, fire alarm signals mean fire crews are called out unnecessarily. But there must be a lot more to it than that on the impact of the efficiency of crews. Yeah, well, we've looked into this at Ochiki. This year, we commissioned a report to try and get to fully understand this impact of false alarms on UK businesses. And the the research that we uncovered revealed that the cost of false alarms is costing SMEs in the UK, around about £700 million every single year. We conducted the research across around about 300 small businesses across the UK. And some of the stats from that, quite shocking. Nine out of 10 resulted in the complete evacuation of the building. So you can see this is where most of that cost is born. It's that loss of productivity. But then it goes deeper than that because 56% of business owners that were surveyed said that excessive false alarms mean that staff then don't take the real alarm seriously. So, you know, you get that alarm fatigue and complacency amongst the staff, which could result in in disaster, of course. Obviously, there must be a financial implication to building owners if there are false alarms. Is there some sort of fining system involved in it, Paul? 
there's quite a few fire rescue services introducing fines for false alarm attendance. Uh, last time I checked, the London Fire Brigade were charging something between 450 and 500 pounds per false call out. So yeah, absolutely a penalty for building owners who regularly generate false alarms. I mentioned the call challenge, the emergency services response to this. So what's the approach? We first saw this coming in Scotland at the beginning of the year. So they've brought this approach into play already. It started on the 1st of July. And it basically involves asking the duty holder with responsibility of a premises whether they have investigated a fire alarm signal when they first initiate a report at the brigade. So imagine somebody in a building, commercial building, the alarm has sounded, they go to the panel, they go to the reception, first of all, they ring the fire brigade. The fire brigade are going to ask them, this is in Scotland, have you investigated that this is a real fire? If it's a single smoke sensor, we have to make that uh, distinction. So a signal from a single smoke sensor in a premises, that will invoke the call challenge. In other words, there's not going to be an automatic sending of an appliance and its crew from one signal from one smoke sensor. So the duty holder has to go and investigate whether that is a real fire. And there's some good advice on the FIA website for anybody who wants to have a look about how you go about that safely, because obviously you don't want to put anybody at risk. So you you investigate the fire, then you confirm that it is a real fire. And I mean, we're talking about obviously things like smoke, heat, sound, those sort of things. And then when you confirm that it is a real fire, the appliance is sent. Who else has adopted this approach? Well, since we, we looked into this, I mean, Scotland, they brought this approach in for a valid reason. 28,000 false alarms they responded to on average every year. So you can see why they want to uh, change things up. We've found that Gloucestershire Fire Brigade and Hertfordshire are two of the fire and rescue services that are looking to adopt this. But as recently as September, the London Fire Brigade announced that they are about to conduct a month of public consultation on a very similar approach after disclosing that they attend 47,000 false alarms last year. Now, something we need to point out here, if there is a sleep risk at this premises, at these premises, then an appliance is always sent. So that includes things like hotels, care homes, student accommodation, that sort of thing. So that's the exception to the rule. And also, I mentioned that it, it's the challenge is there if the signal is generated by a single smoke, it's also automatic uh, attendance if the signal is generated by a multi-sensor, a sprinkler system, or more than one smoke sensor activated. Because then obviously they are true signs that a, a fire is probably uh, taking place. There's some timings also involved in their approach. They intend to stop attending automatic fire alarm signals between 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. In other words, when there's people in the building who can manually go and check that it's a real fire. Now, there's anything outside of those hours, they'll automatically attend. But it's interesting, when we looked at the Scottish approach, there was no mention of any time scale. So the refusal to attend a signal from a single smoke it makes you wonder what happens outside of business hours. If uh, a single smoke is activated and there's nobody on site to manually verify that it's a real fire, how long is it going to take to get somebody with a key to that premises to do the check before 
the Scottish Fire Rescue Service attend. But we've got so many of these false alarms here, Paul. What can building owners do and what, frankly, must they do in order to respond to this? Well, there's plenty of advice out there. Again, I would direct anybody to the FIA website. There's some brilliant advice for any building owners who are concerned and want to reduce false alarms. So review your fire safety risk assessment. Keep a log of all those false alarms because that's going to help you identify any trends if this particular equipment that's failing. Create an action plan, which will help reduce any false alarms from happening. Check your sensors and detector types and their locations. Are they in the right locations? You're going to need an engineer, a fire engineer to help you uh, and advise you on that. But seek advice from a competent fire alarm engineer. If you've got an old fire system, anything over 10 years possibly needs an upgrade. Think about replacing standard smoke sensors with multi-sensors. The BRE and the FIA recommend the use of multi-sensors as reducing false alarms. They did some research themselves a few years ago. In general, it was found that the more sophisticated the sensor, then the less chance of false alarms being generated. So we would always uh, say, if you could fit a multi-sensor, it's probably the best thing to do. Keep your automatic fire alarm system maintained. That should be a no-brainer, really. If the, if the system is allowed to fall into disrepair, you're going to get false alarms, as simple as that. So make sure that you're having at least, at least an annual service every year on your, on your alarm system. And you mentioned about the multi-sensors and the fact that the FIA and BRE are recommending them. Tell me a bit more about the difference when it comes to multi-sensors in as far as, as fitting the systems behind it and generally the the value and the technicalities of a multi-sensor system? Yeah, so I mean, even putting aside the call challenge approach, which says that they will always attend a signal from a multi-sensor, and that's because the multi-sensor has more than one sensing element in it, okay? So it's it's checking different types of criteria that may indicate a fire. Now, normally, most people would have heard of a heat and a smoke, but there are devices out there, including some from Ojigi, that will detect smoke, heat, and CO. So the reason they're recommending is that the sensing elements will work in harmony. They work together to determine whether there's a real fire or not. There's something to consider here in the small print, as we say. Make sure that if you're going to fit a a multi-sensor, make sure that it's a true multi-sensor. And what I mean by that is that some multi-sensors on the market will be certified to operate as a heat, and they'll have a, a certificate to cover EM54 Part 5 for heat, or they'll be designed to switch to operate as as a smoke and we'll have a certificate that mentions EM54 Part 7. What you should be looking for is multi-sensors that can operate or use all of the sensing elements together in combination to make that fire decision because that's where the false alarm reduction takes place. So look for multi-sensors that have a certification that mentions EM54 part 29, part 30, or part 31, because those are the combined tests. If a multi-sensor doesn't have those certificates, then it's not going to use all of its sensing elements to make the fire decision and may not be the best for wheedling out false alarms. And you mentioned the small print there. Now, not everyone reads the small print, Paul. You clearly go through it all with a fine tooth comb. What other things do we need to understand when it comes to the small print around multi-sensor certification? 
if your if your multi sensor isn't certified under those particular parts of EM54, then it's not using all of the elements to make a fire decision. That's the main thing we would say. It's either going to be using the smoke sensor on its own or the heat sensor. If it's got part 29, 30, and 31, or any of those, then basically what we're saying is that it's been tested by using all those sensing elements simultaneously to make a fire decision. So in the case of a heat and smoke multi-sensor, typically it's an optical sensor that's enhanced by the heat part of it. So it's operating as a smoke. As soon as heat is detected, the sensitivity of the smoke is increased to check whether it's a transient signal or whether it's a real fire. And you mentioned various multi-sensor devices on the market, uh, including from Hochiki. So when it comes to this, how can Hochiki help? Well, Obviously, all of our products will be on our website, so please check that out. We also have some information about the Scottish Call Challenge approach. We've set up a webpage that explains that and the next steps for business owners who are concerned. We conduct CPDs on false alarm management. And so if you're interested in that, just follow us on social media or check our website and there'll be details of when we're next conducting one of those. And if you can't wait, there are recordings of our CPD webinars also on our website. Just look for the webinar vault page. And of course, we can deliver those CPDs in person to anybody who's interested. Just contact us through the website. There is a form or you can email us on cpd at hochikiurope.com. Paul Adams is Content Marketing Manager at Hojiki Europe. That's it for the latest Firecast. Thanks again to Paul for joining us. Some interesting and indeed essential insight from him in today's conversation. If you enjoyed it, make sure you share it with your colleagues and give them the value of Paul's knowledge too. I'll be back with another Firecast soon. Thank you for listening. Firecast is produced and presented by Paul Hutton and is an MDM publishing podcast in association with International Fire Fire Protection Magazine.